As the Missouri political community continues to grapple with how women are treated in the state capitol, Brittany Burke is speaking out on sexual harassment and how rape victims are treated. She joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. I say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Joe Manis, also with St. Louis Public Radio. And our guest today... Brittany Burke with the public relations firm Tactus. We appreciate you coming out and being on our show and joining the legions of people who have been on the Politically Speaking podcast. Thank you. I feel like I have arrived. I'm here with the the broadcast (laughs) team that rivals John Rooney and and Mike Shannon. Got quite the team here. I don't want to go that far, but we we are certainly in the presence of a legend with Joe Mann. Absolutely. But now, in this case, this particular show is a little different than some of our shows. We have had periodically various political consultants on the show from both parties. Uh, Brittany is an unusual case in that you started out as an aide with the state Democratic Party, but as a consultant, when you've become a consultant, you have had clients both sides of the aisle plus some nonpartisan clients. Correct. So um, I guess I was officially, I, I was officially in politics 2010, 2012. I was with the Missouri Democratic Party. Uh, and then from there went over to work with uh, in Governor Nixon's office as his deputy press secretary, and then moved over to the policy and legislative side of things, working with advocacy groups and constituents and that sort of thing to address legislative policies and concerns. Um, and last year, I guess in uh, I don't know. I, got, I guess about this time last year, I started my own public relations, government advocacy consulting firm, Tactus. Yeah. So the context of this for our listeners is that, as many of you know, there's been a lot of controversy in Jefferson City the last few months. Some of it dealing with um, alleged sexual harassment or inappropriate sexual relationships with interns. Uh, some of it has been um, accusations about the general fraternal party atmosphere in Jefferson City. Um, there's just been a lot of uh, accusations. We've had at least two members, prominent members of the state legislature, then House Speaker John Deal and um, State Senator Paula Voda from Kansas City area have both resigned over incidents involving interns. Uh, the reason we're having Ms. Burke on our show, in part, is because she has found herself uh, fair or not, in the center of some of this because of um, publicity soon after the session ended over um, an incident, a police report that she filed in April uh, about a sexual assault in Jefferson City. Uh, Ms. Burke also has acknowledged that over a year ago, um, she had been uh, for a few months in a relationship with John Deal when he was majority leader. So we're, we're, we're using this to kind of explore some of the accusations, concerns, um, real or unreal, about the climate in Jefferson City. Is that a fair characterization? I, I mean, is that a fair characterization to you? Sure. Um, I definitely think um, as a woman that's worked in the Capitol building, um, 
having a perspective or input isn't unique. Every woman that works there and man can in some way weigh in on the culture that's now being deemed the culture in Jefferson City. Um, however, because of a recent uh, very personal experience, um, I, I now have an even more unique perspective um, on the culture in Jefferson City. But I think it's important to highlight that some of the uh, layers to, uh, to what is being deemed as the culture in Jefferson City is not unique to a state legislature. It's not unique to a capital city. It's not unique to Jefferson City. Um, the culture of um, double standards between men and women, the culture of victim blaming and victim shaming, the culture of how women are treated is everywhere. It is unfortunately still a part of society. Um, what's different though is because of the larger uh, part of what is being deemed as the culture of Jefferson City, those issues that I just mentioned um, impact sometimes how um, daily business is conducted, how policies are shaped, and how um, individuals are treated uh, in, this, in the Capitol building. Do you have any theories on why the environment is what it is in Jefferson City? Because we've had a lot of guests on who have said that there are certain environmental factors like, you know, lobbyist gifts, campaign contributions, um, you know, free food and drink, term limits, proximity from home. But others have said that there's more of a intangible things, that we're just electing morally flawed people to office. Like, do you have any perspective or take on what has created this environment that has disparaged and disrespected so many women there? Sure. So I don't think free food and drink or free breakfast before a hearing is um, causing legislators, staffers, lobbyists, whomever, to sexually harass other colleagues, interns, uh, whomever. I will say I have not been around forever like the uh, legend Joe <laughs> let's, Manis. Let's not emphasize. So uh, she certainly has more institutional knowledge than I do and has been around longer than I have um, and probably has a unique perspective there. Conversations that I've had with uh, other, other lobbyists, um, other staffers that have been around um, significantly longer than I have, uh, and I, I agree. I don't think that the environment in the Capitol building has changed. I think there are other contributing factors, um, one being term limits. Mm -hmm. I think term limits is probably one of the worst things to ever happen uh, to Missouri. Uh, why is that? You want to talk about that? Um, I think prior to term limits going into effect, uh, because these legislators um, – it was a career. They were there for a long time. It wasn't a. Um, it wasn't viewed as a as a part time job. And there was camaraderie and relationships, deep relationships, respectful relationships established, not just among legislators, but among lobbyists, among their staffers, and 
when something was done that might be perceived, and I'm not saying that the the definition of the behavior of sexual harassment is any different than it was 30 years ago than it is now, but because there was a sense of camaraderie and a sense of respect for one another, or more of a sense of respect for one another, because how deep a relationship was, it might not be perceived as sexual harassment, or it wasn't malicious. Now, Senator Claire McCaskill was an intern there as a college student over 40 years ago, and she has emphasized that, and this is before term limits, that she was the stuff that she um, dealt with, uh, some of the uh, harassment or inappropriate marks that she dealt with, um, were just as bad or perhaps worse than some um, interns have commented about today. And her point was that it's, her contention was it's not term limits, and her contention was it wasn't that the atmosphere in Jefferson City has changed, that the problem is the atmosphere in Jefferson City has never changed. I mean, that's and I th- think that's, that's her perspective. And that's part of the problem that we're trying to tackle here is that this isn't something that just popped up out of nowhere. It's something that's been festering for decades that's come to a very public, public, you know, drawing point. And some say social media is actually one of the reasons that now it's becoming more publicly. uh, I'm interested in your take on this. Sure. Well, let me be clear. I'm not saying for one second, nor do I think that sexual harassment did not occur years, you know, decades ago. I'm not saying that for a single second. Um, And also, let me also say, I wasn't around. Yeah, 30 was. years ago. So <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, directly comment on right. what did and did not go on. Right. Um, also, let me be clear. Again, I, I'm not being naive here. It happened. I think term limits did change the, the sense, the, the feeling, the tone of the environment. But yes, social media, absolutely. Uh, text messaging, camera phones, um, how quickly information can be disseminated amongst a group of people stuck in this sort of smaller uh, city in the middle of nowhere spreads like wildfire because there isn't a whole lot to do or a whole lot going on. And unfortunately, as we saw uh, this last session, I think because of the committee structure that was in place, there wasn't a lot of work getting done because legislators were holding hearings that turned out to be pointless or weren't sure what the process was. We're learning how to, to navigate it, and there's a lot of free time. And so social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, these texting, the, the pictures that can get spread around heightens and adds fuel to what's going on. And I, just to kind of put the exclamation point on that, I started covering Missouri politics in 2006 at the Missouri Capitol before camera phones were widely available and before Twitter and social media. So it's changed pretty rapidly in just a span of like five, six, seven years, That I, at least my frame of reference. You've mentioned several times humorously that your frame of reference is narrower than Joe's, as is mine. So that's kind of the reason I'm asking a lot of people about their experience. But I I think, though, uh, it's just like what Jason said. I think that until about four or five years ago, there wasn't, there may have been changes in behavior or not, but it wasn't widely known. The social media, people being able to tweet or take, I mean, screenshots. Yeah, I mean, this is how actually screenshots are what, frankly, what took down both of these legislators is that there were screenshots of their text messages 
that sort of thing, where if you can imagine six, seven years ago, no one would have yeah, known I, even what you're talking about. But looking at the broader issue, as a consultant who sometimes worked in Jefferson City, um, is it is it important to take legislators out for drinks? I mean, how big is the drinking culture, the whole party culture, and did it... <laughs> What, did your observations change at all once you went from being a staff member to being a consultant? I don't really, I mean, I don't really operate in that realm. That's not a function of my business. Taking, You're more of a public relations. Taking correct. legislators or lobbyists um, out for drinks. I have, uh, legisl- I'm friendly with legislators. I'm friendly with ro- lobbyists. Um, and if I'm out, you know, out with them in a friendly setting, it's, you know, sure, I'll pick up a round of drinks like you do when you go out with people um i but i'm not a lobbyist um and that's and that's a key point i mean great example of how i'm not a lobbyist i just met uh senator schaefer the senate appropriations chair for the first time uh last week i assure you if i was a lobbyist or high profile many many more times kurt schaefer would know who i am right um so I can't I can't really um, get into the, the specifics on that. Um, I think another detriment to Missouri is maybe the capital city being uh, where it's located. I love I lived in Jefferson City. I have a, a special place in my heart for Jefferson City. I'm by no means uh, trying to put Jefferson City down, but the fact of the matter is there is a um, a, a gap. Um, a, a breakdown in the relationship between the community and the General Assembly. Yeah. Uh, and I think as a result, there there just isn't a whole lot to do uh, once, once you're you gavel out and, and the day's over so, and yeah, you're not legislating. To be, to be candid, that's one of the reasons I lived in Columbia as opposed to living in Jefferson City. As, it, a, as an early, I, I started my career when I was 22. There wasn't much for me to do in Jefferson City. So, so is continue. Jefferson City considered, I mean, when you live or work there, is it like an island? You know, I lived there for a little over two years. I didn't feel like I was on an island. No, I mean they've got a Target and a TJ Maxx, and <laughs> there's a Dillard's uh, there, right? Uh, Actually, yeah. a very nice Dillard's. I want to emphasize yeah. that. Yeah, I, uh, I love the the YMCA there that I I uh, worked out in daily. Um, so no, I didn't feel like I was on an island. But I'm born and raised in St. Louis. It's quite different, which is quite different than Jefferson City. I mean, one of the things I loved about Jefferson City was. I could be anywhere in five minutes, regardless of what time of day it was. You know, occasionally you get stuck on that terrible traffic on Missouri Boulevard, but it's rare. The reason I say another one of the worst things to happen to Missouri uh, is that the capital city is where it is. Again, I have a special place in my heart for Jefferson City is sort of what Jason just referenced. There isn't um, a ton going on after you gavel out and you end up going out to dinner or going out for drinks. That does not mean, though, that it is this wild frat party happening all the time. Absolutely not. Um, That being said, on all the issues that have been discussed regarding this, you know, Jefferson City culture, um, one of them being that it's, like I just said, this frat party, there are good men and women elected, state representatives, state senators, who come to Jefferson City to get work done, to represent their constituents, to shape policies 
that they believe in to be productive and to do what to stand up and lead to do what they are expected to do as elected officials. That being said, there are a few that might be there for the wrong reasons, might not be taking it as seriously as they should, might not see their this opportunity for them to be in a leadership position representing uh, Missourians as a privilege and an opportunity. Uh, and, their, and their actions and their words, I think sometimes, unfortunately, overshadow good men and women that are there doing good work. You alluded, I think, before to the double standards between men and women. I'd like you to kind of elaborate on what you've seen in, in Jefferson City about what like a, ma- a male legislator or a male lobbyist can get away with, whereas a female lobbyist or consultant or legislator can't get away with. Um, I haven't witnessed anything per se that involves what a male legislator or lobbyist can get away with and what a female legislator or lobbyist uh, can get away with. Uh, one of the, the double st- or one of the issues in society that we face when it comes to equ- equality, gender equality, workplace equality is pay discrepancies. I mean equal pay. There's a huge pay discrepancy uh, between what a male lobbyist charges for services, whether it be to monitor legislation, lobby on behalf of legislation, manage an association, and what a female lobbyist will charge. I had I had no idea how severe, how large the gap, uh, the discrepancy was until I started my own firm and, you know, lobbyists that have, that mentor me, good friends of mine, I started, you know, asking, hey, what do you charge for this? What do you charge for that? Trying to get a sense of, you know, what the going rate was. Um, and I was shocked at how, it, you know, a female, let's say we're discuss, you know, we're monitoring legislation here. So not lobbying, not, you know, whipping votes or just monitoring the debate, how the bill is moving through either chamber. What a female lobbyist with on her own, whether it's a smaller firm or on her own, let's say she would charge $800 a month for that. So $800 through January through May. Ask the same question of a male lobbyist uh, with a firm or on his own. I was told ten thousand dollars, eight thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars. Yeah, month? yeah. Um, wow. There's a huge pay discrepancy. Now I point that out, not to say that that shouldn't be the going rate, or that that's outrageous. Um, that's what that lobbyist chooses to charge for his time, for his services. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's what the female lobbyist chooses to charge for her services for her time. There's nothing wrong with that either. But it just kind of showcases the discrepancy and what you just mentioned. As a result, though, you mentioned differences between uh, females and yeah. males in the Capitol building as far as lobbyists go. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is that pay discrepancy, you're going to see more male lobbyists, more male lobbying firms with more money in the bank. Yeah. More, you know, with more cash on hand, you can buy um, more dinners, more drinks. Something I never thought about before. So shifting just a little bit, as I mentioned earlier, there you ended up being in the public eye fairly dramatically and unexpectedly uh, because of um, press coverage of your police report, which was filed in April regarding a sexual assault. Now, uh, 
the the whole issue soon became national. I mean, you ended up with national press coverage, and um, what fair or unfair, but uh, that incident also, I think a lot of interns have uh, reached out to you. Uh, some of the interns that were involved in some of the other controversies in Jefferson City. I'd be interested in your just general take on all this uh, without getting, without judging the press coverage, just talking about what the impact has been, uh, not just on you, but what the, you know, the interns reaching out to you and just sort of your general perspective uh, looking back on the whole experience. Sure. Um, and this is a very, um, it's a very personal experience and it's a very personal story. Um, on April 9th, um, I, in Jefferson City, I woke up and thought that I had been uh, sexually assaulted or, or raped. Um, th the days following were very traumatic, nothing like I had ever been through before or even thought that people, uh, victims go through. It was an eye-opener, and it was something that I wanted to be my secret that no one ever knew about that I dealt with with my very close friends and family and walked away hoping that individuals that maybe did know about it or were providing information would recognize the sensitivity of the issue and how personal of experience it was um, and hope that they would keep it to themselves and not make it a part of typical capital gossip. In late June, my secret was, was taken from me and um, was made um, front page news um, by a local media outlet in my hometown. And the public shaming that I experienced as a rape victim and the victim blaming and that I experienced is unprecedented. It's unprecedented. Um, one of the reasons people were so outraged is because they had never read a news story like that before. Um, we're not used to seeing names of sexual assault or rape victims in the media unless it's made very clear that they have given permission for their name and their short story to be told. And it is very important to me that what happened to me does not deter other sexual harassment, sexual assault, or rape victims from coming forward to seek help and the support that they deserve and we as society should provide to them. Um, I have made a choice to for, for that not to be a consequence of what happened to me. I want other victims, regardless of its harassment, assault, or rape, to know that they can come forward. And if they are publicly shamed, that they will also be publicly embraced. And I've, I guess I have found my voice um, but also have been able to be shoulders for some of these interns and other women, quite frankly, not just in Jefferson City, all over the state and all over the country to stand on and speak out.
So what have they been telling you? And what, have, what I mean, not specifically, but like who's been reaching out to you and, and, and what, 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 what advice have you provided to them? Sure. Well, you know, and I'm glad that you guys are bringing this up because there is, I do want to make an important distinction. Um, sexual harassment and sexual assault and rape are, are, are different. Yes. Um, they're defined by the law differently. Um, sexual harassment happens in the workplace. Assault and rape may have more severe physical wounds. Um, however, the what I have learned from talking to not just these talking to interns that have worked in Jefferson City, but other women, um, the emotional wounds are the same. They're deep rooted and they're much more severe uh, than any physical wound you will ever. Um, experience. Um, I have learned more from them. I'm, I'm amazed at how much I've learned from them and how ama- how great of an experience talking to them is, has been from me, been for me, um, because the experiences, the trauma is very, is, is, is the same. I want to be clear that I've heard from interns. I have heard from staffers I've heard from legislators I've heard from lobbyists I've heard heard from women everywhere um, in this state um, saying this happened to me you know everyone knows some a woman who's been sexually harassed assaulted or raped it's it's unfortunate and has been shocking to me it might be your coworker it might be a city official it might be the woman who owns the dry cleaners you go to it might be a family member we all know someone. And so speaking to these women, it's been uh, almost a, th- a thera- therapeutic process, I think, for all of us to share our experiences. Um, one thing that I have conveyed to them, because I started hearing from them much later um, after what happened to me, is that it's sort of amazing how quickly society rushes to blame the victim, how quickly um, and publicly because of Twitter and Facebook and the ability to comment on news stories, how quickly um, the people that you know, quite frankly, quite frankly, rush to judge, debate and have a public conversation about whether or not you were really harassed, assaulted or raped and whether or not decisions you made prior to the incident or what you were wearing, or what you had to drink, or what you had to eat, or what you did a year ago, or what you did five minutes ago, should play a role in whether or not you were really assaulted, raped, or um, harassed. And so a few things there. One, compassion and empathy are so important. And I think as as a society, um, especially those operating in Jefferson City around these interns um, where it is a close network. But but no, I mean, I don't want to limit it to Jefferson City. Just overall, it takes a lot of soul-searching, courage, and faith to decide to come forward and speak out as a victim. And I want everyone to remember to have compassion and empathy first and put yourself in that person's shoes Put yourself in that headline. 
if you want to take the time to get all the facts and information and have all of them, then you have the right to judge. Then you can have a debate on Twitter about whether or not the incident actually occurred. Now, one of the things you've done lately, the last few weeks, is uh, you've been pressing for some proposed legislation dealing with how hospitals handle um, rape, alleged rape, and dealing with um, the medical procedures. Talk about your brief experience and then what has prompted you to push for legislation to make sure there are more staffers at least available. You want to explain that? Sure. So um, there were many things that um, were horrifying outraging and traumatic that I ex- experienced with my uh, with the rape my rape investigation and days following April 8th April 9th one of them that absolutely blew my mind was the amount of time that it took to actually see a um, a health professional that's trained to perform these sexual assault exam these forensic exams known as a rape kit Um, it's important that you have uh, someone that is trained and certified um, for preservation of evidence Um, they you know go through some uh, trauma training uh, and then also uh, should you know the prosecutor file charges um, if if an arrest is made it it will you know stand up um, in court it took about, I think, almost four hours for me to actually see um, a sexual assault nurse. Another problem with that is if there was something put in my drink, uh, those, that moves through your system very quickly. And so it's very important to get you know, blood and urine samples uh, taken and tested uh, determ- to determine if that happened. Um, I waited for a nurse. Um, I wasn't worried about losing my job. I wasn't worried about, I didn't have kids at a babysitter. I wasn't, um, I've navigated healthcare before. I'm smart, successful. I have an understanding of policies, procedures, my rights, and was fortunate enough to have uh, family and supportive friends. I stayed. Um, Take all of that off the table and you have a woman who is worried about losing her job, does, doesn't feel safe, does have a kid, kids at baby, a babysitter and is going, do I pay the electric bill or school supplies? She's not going to wait and she's not going to get uh, the, the care and the resources, resources that she deserves and those tests won't be done that are performed in a forensic exam and it's possible that you know, that a, a serial rapist is out there walking around because evidence wasn't taken. So one of the ideas that I think has been floated is having a, a nurse on staff as opposed to be on call. Is that correct? Sure. Well, this is this is near and dear to my heart. Um, so I'm sorry if I'm going on and on here. No, absolutely. Um, so after this happened to me, as I have mentioned, I wanted this to be my secret. I did not want anyone to know about this, but I was determined for some positive for there to be a silver lining here and i contacted uh, two of the two of the major health providers in in the state um, and shared briefly what happened to me not even as much detail as i just gave um, and said that it happened to a friend and that i thought that this should never happen again and suggested that legislation be filed to address whatever um, 
policies are in place that need to be changed, improved, or whatever policies need to be implemented. Um, I didn't want credit for it. I didn't want my hands on it. I didn't even want to be in the building for it. I just wanted to know that I did something to prevent other women from having to go through what I went through. Um, and unfortunately, um, that option uh, to, be anonymous. No, to be anonymous was uh, was taken from me. And so here I am. Okay. <clears throat> so at this point, though, um, we, you have at least two legislators sure. who have agreed so, to sponsor um, legislation. And this and this is something that I'm uh, I'm very very excited about. It's coming together. Uh, very well. I have shared my uh, personal story with uh, Senator Kurt Schaefer uh, and Representative Jay Barnes. Uh, Senator Kurt Schaefer has agreed to file a bill uh, in the Senate addressing um, this issue, uh, and, and Representative Barnes is going to uh, carry it in the House. Um, there there's some fine lines here, and this is a, is a complicated issue, and there's nuances. You know, we have to make sure that we're not um, decreasing quality, but promoting access um, we both are, are important um, but I'm I'm very uh, proud of the conversation that's going on between key health providers the top health providers in the state key players advocacy organizations um, about this policy issue each agree that this is uh, definitely something that needs to be addressed and I'm, I'm confident that that while complicated, um, when the time is right, everyone will come together and, and get this done um, and find a solution. So it's it's the right thing to do, and we owe it to victims to make sure that this does not happen. Uh, anything else you want to add? Or? You know, uh, w- one part of the that is a part of Jefferson City culture, and it's not unique to Jefferson City or a state legislator, state legislature, or capital city, and that's the double standards between men and women. Um, these It's a double standard that women fight and deal with every day in the workplace and in the Capitol building in Jefferson City. Unfortunately, because of them, women find themselves in positions where they have to work harder um, and sometimes with less resources. This is an issue that is going, in order to combat it, it's going to take everyone. It is going to take all women stepping up and saying that they're going to be an advocate for all women. And it's going to take some strong men who view their wives, their daughters, their sisters the same way as they do their female colleagues. And that is treating everyone with the dignity and respect that they deserve, regardless of what they're wearing, how they look, what they've done in the past, who they work for. But that being said, women have the most work to do here. We can't, out of one side of our mouth, be outraged for an intern that was sexually harassed. And then on the other side, attribute a female colleague's accomplishments and success to anything but merit and her hard work. And every time a woman does anything less than that, she is fueling a double standard that she fights every day. 
a double standard that we all suffer from, quite frankly, as women. We have to get our act together. And every time we contribute to that double standard by talking about our female colleagues like that, we should know that that's been said about us. And if it hasn't, it will. And until we get our, <clears throat> excuse me, until we get our acts together and put our money where our mouth is and not just stand at the microphone and champion women's rights and gender equality and equal pay or stand there with our hand up to fight for women and actually put our money where our mouth is and make our actions meet our words and reach down and pull women up and push up instead of pushing down, we're, we're our own worst enemy. Well, well, thank you so much for being yes. on the show. Thank you for discussing all these issues. We really appreciate this. We really appreciate you being our guest. Uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at, at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how can we follow you on Twitter? I'm at Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-H, Burke, B-U-R-K-E. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. Bye.